to Life in the Land of the Ice and Snow. Today, I have my friend Rachel. She is born in New Zealand, but basically from the UK. Yeah, that's I sort of roughly group my life into three chunks, the New Zealand chunk, the UK chunk, and the Sweden chunk. I lived 15 years in New Zealand, then moved to Britain and lived for... Well, it would involve maths now if I had to actually work it out, <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. I, I, like, I think chunks is more appropriate to my level of mathematical sure. ability. A big chunk in London, and then now here for 12 years... I work out how long I've lived here by the age of my daughter, minus two years. I can manage the minus two years, and I always know the age of my daughter, touch wood, that will carry on. That's how yeah. I know how long I've lived in my current apartment, yeah. is by my kid's age. Yeah. <laughs> Less counting is required there somehow, yeah. Well, we'll do a little bit of background. What do you work with? Uh, I'm a designer and artist, so as a designer I've got my own brand and I sell clothes and cushions and all sorts of lovely things that you'd want for your personal self and your home. And then as an artist I sort of took some of the experience of being a digital designer, doing stuff in Photoshop and putting it onto fabrics and so forth, textile design, and then I started putting paint into the mix and doing big canvases that kind of incorporated both. And then I migrated a bit to doing just painting. So I kind of do a bit of both, usually pretty big scale. So yeah, that's what I do, design and art. Yeah, and the paintings, that's a new thing. That's a very new thing. I started painting for the first time at the beginning of this summer. So I've been painting for less than a year and I've now built up a body of work. I've had my first piece exhibited in my uh, jury competition exhibition and I've got a couple of weeks I'm exhibiting my work in a, a Edsvig Konsthal starting next week in this Yule Salon thing. Yes, I'm coming yeah. to see that. Yeah, good, good. So what made you decide to start painting after designing for so long, just trying something different? Mm, I think hashtag painting keeps me sane um I think it's a bit of that actually uh, it's a really awful thing to sort of talk about really but I I was struggling a bit mentally and last year I did a course in sustainability and I finished that and I just went into this sort of black hole I just freaked out I, I have this thing that apparently a lot of people get after they've been doing an in intensive course learning about environmental stuff is they get this almost panic that the world is falling apart and everything is shit and everything that you use is bad for the environment every habit you have is part of the problem and I just went into this really bleak place afterwards where I felt like I needed to reassess my habits and my life in that context, in the context of the environment and sustainability and so forth. And I found that a really hard process to go through. And so it was a bit of a kind of deconstruction, reconstruction sort of thing going on there. But I've come out much shinier. <laughs> <laughs> But I think uh, Sweden is a very good country to be in for environmental issues and being able to switch over Absolutely. sustainability. Absolutely. I mean, compared to the UK, that would be the most recent. Yeah, although there's something going on in the UK that I really... I keep seeing these like posts of people going on protests and civil disobedience, essentially, peaceful civil disobedience. And there's a lot of anger there. And I think that's like my underlying personality trait is anger 
I think that is like if you strip away the funny and you strip away the nice and you strip away the everything underneath is just a simmering pot of angry, angry that the world is the way it is and angry that it can't be better. We should all be living in paradise. We've got enough resources for everyone. Apparently, the six richest people in the world could end world poverty six times over if they spread their wealth around, for instance, these kinds Mm. of things. It really, really, really makes me angry. So... Here in Sweden, I don't really have any outlet for my anger because um, everyone seems to be sort of kind of on top of it. You know, they're pretty good with the recycling and they're pretty good with the, oh, we turn your garbage into energy and we put it into buses that are green. I think that's such an amazing thing. I I try to tell people in the US about the recycling programs and that we heat our houses with the garbage and that some of the buses run on garbage. It's amazing. Yeah, it is totally amazing. It's very inspiring and uh, and it's one of the reasons why I feel like I would be hard pushed to live anywhere else actually because here at least I I can feel proud of the way society is kind of set up the infrastructure of it intrinsically there are problems of course there are everywhere but I think that as somebody who has a simmering pot of anger underneath the surface, if I went and lived in America or in Britain, I think I would explode. I would be out on the streets <laughs> demanding change so much that, you know, my kids' dinners wouldn't get cooked and nothing would ever <laughs> get done. It'd be terrible. So, yeah, one can actually have a, a life and get on with being an environmentally aware person here in a way that is actually a part of the fabric of society rather than a sort of fringe lunatic who wants to throw Molotov cocktails. I, I don't want to throw Molotov cocktails. But, you know, <laughs> now I mean about it. <laughs> recycling glass and, you know. Yeah, it's exactly. Gonna... <laughs> you got to throw it in the right place. Yeah. Since you spent a good three chunks of time in three different countries, what are some of the major differences between living in each one and the cultures? I think about that kind of thing a lot, actually, about the differences between places and what the people are like, not individuals, but like the people as a a culture. And there are a lot of things that I miss about Britain. I, I left New Zealand when I was 15, so it's very, and I was a child then when I lived there, so it's very hard for me to really have a proper grasp of, of that place other than just nice warm place that it lives inside me in this kind of nostalgic sense. But of course. They're not really kind of like a, a clear picture of what New Zealand is like. But I, I miss certain aspects of Britain. I miss the sense of humour. The British are by far and away the funniest people. I have of. to agree. Yeah, yes, they. I'm sorry, but they are number one yeah, when totally. it comes to humor. And and things people on the street are like that too. It's funny all the time. <laughs> it's funny everywhere and on every level. You get in a cab, the driver, he's hysterical. You buy your ticket for the for the subway, dude selling the ticket, hysterical. People's <laughs> just general banter there is very very funny. And and when you move to Sweden, that goes. And I kind of miss that. And also one of the big things I noticed when I moved here is how rude the Swedes are. Now, I don't mean that, like, in a way, like... I don't mean to be disrespectful to the Swedish people, but they ain't holding no doors open for you. (laughs) They're just going to let that door go now. It's going in your face. Up there, it happened. But they don't even see that because they're just walking on and carrying on. They didn't see that. You know, just these sort of small things that comes from one thing not 
living in a very highly densely populated country. Sweden's pretty spacious, there's not that many people here. If you were like that in London, society just wouldn't work very well. There's so many people so densely put together that if, if people weren't being polite to each other and kind of making allowances for each other, I think you'd have, like, stabbings even more than you already do. I mean, there's <laughs> enough stabbings already, but, you know, you'd be next-level stabby and angry and hitty-facey and stuff, and uh, and nobody wants that. So I, I think that... The Swedes have got this thing where they are quite self-contained people. They're self-contained in the way they hold themselves when they're talking. It's just kind of a content, mm. quiet, self-contained thing. And that means that they don't necessarily seem to think much about them in relation to the people in their physical space around them. And that manifests in what is seen as extreme rudeness from, from a British perspective. But from somebody who's now lived here for a long time, there is no disrespect when they're, they're leaving that door going slamming in your face it's just that they're done with the door now and they're just moving on through if you go back or to the uk or to any other country do you notice yourself picking up these type of swedish habits the first few days because i do i'll bump into people now when i go back to the u.s and i'll just keep on walking and- <laughs> yeah, but that's because you're rude <laughs> no, no no i don't know because i'm overcompensatory in my politeness and also i think that politeness is like it's like chocolate croissants or something it's like the height of civilization it is finesse and refinement it's wonderful i love politeness and it's that one of the things i like about the british society that is just the absolute best and and they do it better than everybody else they they Mm. go over they bend over backwards to be polite i've traveled a great deal i've been all over the place and no one is as polite as the british and i just love them for it i think it's brilliant well what brought you to sweden why did you end up well, I, I am married to a Swede, but actually we met in, in London and we lived in London, um, but I was becoming increasingly concerned about the safety of my young family. Then I had a daughter, she's a little baby there, and uh, people were dying and being stabbed up and stuff outside my doorstep. And, you know, my house was burgled and people were, like, murdered and out the front of my house. And I just thought, hmm... What part of London were you in? I lived on the Holloway Road, which is like kind of between Islington, which is quite nice, and Archway, which is the armpit of the universe. <laughs> and Holloway Road is like the main artery of out of London. It's a really busy road, really dirty. And, I mean, there are so many drug users around there that all the crime is drug-related mm. and it's dirty and it's scary and I just couldn't hack it anymore and I was too scared to go out of my house and buy a pint of milk you know in the evening so I thought nope I'm leaving I want to go somewhere nice and if the kids are ever gonna have a like to bond with their Swedish grandparents they've got to learn to speak Swedish and that's only gonna happen if we move there and I wanted to change so so yeah we moved to Stockholm and it's just the best decision that I've ever made I'm so so happy that I moved I'd become really cynical living in London you know when people talk to you you think what do they want what are they trying to sell Mm. or like I don't know just especially the part of London that I came from and when I moved here suddenly people just are what they seem to be and that is one of the greatest things about Sweden they are what they seem to be people are straightforward honest decent of course you get all sorts Yeah, I've noticed that too uh, when I met my husband, that they're very honest. They're honest to the point that it drives me a bit crazy because it's it's not like it is in America when you ask the person you're dating how you look. In Sweden, I'll ask Mons, I'll say like, oh, I couldn't quite get my hair right today. And he'll say, no, but maybe another day. (laughs) 
thinking that that's quite positive. It's yes. like, no, you failed that test there, dude. Yeah, but it is nice to know where you stand with people here. Yeah, I think they, absolutely. it's, I mean, they're direct, but they're in a kind way. They're direct and they're honest. And yeah. You can generally trust what they say. It, it always makes me laugh in this country that in the winter, everybody loses their hats and their gloves and people just hang them on trees or on yeah. fence posts. Nice. And it's funny because you think, well, why would you want to steal one glove anyway? But I swear in the States, they would just <laughs> just because it's there. It's free. <laughs> but yeah, that would be gone in two seconds on the Holloway Road, I'm telling yeah. you. What kind of difficulties did you find when you moved here or did it go fairly smooth? Well, I was lucky in one regard in that I had really accommodating um, parents-in-law, my husband's parents. They were really, really helpful. The language was obviously a massive difficulty. I don't speak any other languages, just English, and that is in some ways an advantage here and in some ways a disadvantage because... Everybody kind of speaks pretty brilliant English mm. and so you don't feel forced to really up your game and knuckle down and get that Swedish under your belt. So, you know, I'm I'm 12 years on now and I still speak like a three-year-old, which is to, <laughs> to my, you know, I'm dying shame. I'm terrible at it. But I don't think you're that bad because I've heard you keep up interviews in Swedish. Oh, bless you. Well, I'm I'm pretty embarrassed by it and I feel like I, it should be better. I know people come here uh, and two years later they seem to be fluent and I'm like, wow, how did, how did they do that? I think my head's just full of like bones and flotsam and jetsam and stuff. I don't know, there's there's no room for that lovely language. But I've, I've discovered, well, no, I haven't discovered it's not me actually, it's my English friends. When they come over to stay, they just can't deal with a lot of the Swedish words. They don't live here and they, they don't know what to do with it. But I've got this one friend who loves coming here and she lo- she really loves knickerbröd. She can't say that. She can't even start with that. So she calls it knickerbra. I know, it's brilliant. Knickerbra. And uh, and so now we 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 call it Nikabra. That's what that is. And uh, Gummy Stövler, rubber boots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my mum couldn't deal with that. So they're Jimmy Snifflers. <laughs> I don't even sound no like Gummy Snifflers, but anyway, okay. Jimmy Snifflers. Sure. So so now they're the Jimmys. It's like we've got our own kind of Cockney rhyming slang. It's like Swedish rhyming slang, sort of. We've got we're developing our own weird Swinglish slang hybrid language yeah. now that is just for us. And what about your daughters growing up here with um, both languages and both cultures? Yeah, they obviously put Swedish as their first home language, even though it's not the language they speak at home. Their language changes when I walk in the room. That is the fact, actually, between between oh. my whole my husband and the children. They're speaking Swedish and it just seamlessly morphs into English <laughs> as my body enters the, the, the room that they are in and they just do that naturally and then I leave and it just morphs back into Swedish again. It's this weird thing. It's like I ha- have this bubble around me, like a universal translator. So wherever I go, it just sort of morphs into English. English and then I leave and it morphs back into Swedish <laughs> That would be again. nice. I would like that. Yeah, I got that. It's kind of <laughs> annoying though because I never get to practice at home. I never get to use that or even listen to it very much at home because uh, I think everyone is very embarrassed by when I try to speak Swedish, especially my children. You know, it's very easy to embarrass children as it is. It's also like mortifying for myself as well when you're a bit unsure of what you're saying and then you have children like blushing and looking at you like you're a complete idiot. You're yeah. just like, oh. Yeah, my mum tries to um, speak 
Swedish and she's a little bit, just a little bit hard of hearing and, and so she doesn't hear some of the things. And in fact, even when you have completely brilliant hearing, there are some sounds that Swedes make that you just can't wrap your head around if you're not used to them. Like the G sound at the end of words, right? Like yes. A or Berry. It's like you start saying the word and you just give up interest towards the end of the word. You just sort of give up. There's no real end to that G sound. It's just sort of a, like a lack of interest. And that's what of... makes it difficult to pronounce. Yeah, I... because how do you explain that in an enunciated way? It's like, I'm going to enunciate the first part of the word, but then I'm just going to give up. And that's, that's what you do. Aim for the word berry and then just lose interest halfway through. That's how you pronounce B. That's you know? a good tip, actually. <laughs> it's like that's kind of... Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one, that G sound. Uh, that's that's my that's my tip. It's like go into the front of the word hard and then just let it go. Yeah, yeah. that works, yeah. I think. I'm getting used to that. Yeah, the yeah. one that gets me is when they suck in the air as, yeah. 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 You'll tell them something and they'll be like... <gasps> I like that one. I think that's brilliant. When I uh, when I first moved here, before I could understand Swedish, my husband would be on the phone with somebody, and the only things happening on his end were this. <gasps> yeah, yeah, the sharp intake. And I remember breath. asking yeah. him after, "Oh my God, what happened?" Once he hung up the phone, he's like, "Nothing." Um, but you, it sounded so shocking. Yeah. Oh no, that's just the way that yeah, we say. Like, uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is a funny one, isn't it? But it's a surprising amount of communication is possible to do without any actual words. We were talking about children in Sweden a bit ago, and I found a news story today, Mm -hmm. and the title is Swedish Parents Told to Scrap Son's Name Scrot. And scrot means oh. scrap. So oh, they should clever scrap. headline. They should scrap that. There should <laughs> yeah. not be no one called scrot. So I'll uh, I'll just read the beginning here. Uh, the parents wanted to give their two month old son Bjorn the middle name scrot, which translates to scrap, as in scrap metal. So the thing is, is that in Sweden you actually have to have your child's name approved by the tax authority. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Uh, I know that. In the States, people, unfortunately, seem to be able to name their children anything they like. (laughs) But the law is that you cannot name your child something that could give offense or be seen to cause discomfort for the person later in life. So you can't do, like, brand names. You can't do big historical celebrity names. Uh, I even have a list of people who have suggested names that got turned down. Ikea, Superman, Lucifer, Pilsner. Oh, I, I, I actually, <laughs> when I heard that rule, that law, some years ago, I got really angry because I sort of, anything that tells me what I can and can't do, I get a bit of a rile up because I'm course. madly anti-authority, right? But then, but now that I read that, I'm like, oh my God, thank goodness for the <laughs> lovely Swedish rule there. That has saved Lucifer. Yes, there. poor little Lucifer. Little Lucifer, that saved him a life of... Well, quite frankly, serious embarrassment. Uh, he would have been Lou, though. Let's face it, he would have just gone Lou, right? You're and right. IKEA, though. What? I mean, no, that would be all. I, I mean, really, think what are people the, thinking? I think the idea, and I can't remember what it was, but wasn't there someone maybe in the states that named their child after a corporation, and then they got free items from the corporation? <laughs> But the the other strange thing is that you need to report the name to the tax authorities within three months of having your child. And that's another thing that gets me here is people who do not name their kids when they come out. It it happens quite a lot here. Oh, it happens really a lot. It happened even to my some relatives, my husband's sister, my sister-in-law. They had a lovely little baby boy and it did and and this little creature went without a name for just the longest time. They couldn't decide. And I thought, how can you 
I, I mean, I, I'm like straight away with the names. Of it's course. just hours after it pops out that thing's got a name, whatever. You have whatever to call it, it something. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's just sort of, sort of in stasis, waiting to fully manifest before it has a name. If it hasn't got a name, it's not really here yet. Somehow, I don't know. It's just so weird. But yeah. Anyway, they finally did name it, and they named it Pontiac. No. Yes. They got away with it. They got away with it. So I'm not sure about because it's a thing. It's okay, a thing, but though. Why would you name it Pontiac? I know they build excitement, but it's <laughs> it's not really the best car to name somebody no, after. But, but isn't it also a, a indigenous American tribe? Yes. Oh, name the Pontiac. Yeah, I can't that, believe but that. But everyone calls this child Ponty. Because, like, you know, Pontiac, it's, it's a name to live up to. But that kid's going to live up to it. Oh, I also wanted to talk about the holiday season since oh, it's December. Yes, yes. And when this airs, we'll be coming up on Lucia, which okay. I think is a very unique um, yes, holiday it's, to it's Sweden. It's a funny one. Lucia Day is always on December 13th, and it's basically a celebration of light in the darkness. St. Lucia was an Italian saint. Um, oh, I did look this up, too, because it never makes any sense to me why the Swedes adopted this Italian <laughs> saint. No. I, I did find out that the uh, saint day to celebrate this saint is very near the winter solstice, so that's probably one of the oh, some reasons. Pagan, pagan shenanigans yeah. going on there. She's a third century martyr who, according to legend, brought food and aid to Christians hiding in the catacombs using a candlelit wreath to light the way and leave her hands free to carry as much food as possible. So what the girls in Sweden do to represent this is... You have a choir full of children in long white robes. The girls wear long white robes with either a silver tinsel around the waist or a red ribbon, which is what the Lucia wears. They choose a Lucia. And while all the other girls hold candles, the Lucia wears a wreath of lit candles on her head, which if you're in daycare, it's electric candles. But if you're older, it's actual real candles. And it makes me cringe every time I see that poor girl. Health and safety, health and safety. Because they often have very long hair. (laughs) And all I can think is you're going to have to cut off all that hair because of the wax. (laughs) And they do have a little thing that covers it for to catch the wax yeah. but it does not catch no. it all because no. when you're walking it's a right worry i have the the official description of how they dress the lycia is represented as a lady in a white dress which is a symbol of a white baptismal robe a red sash symbolizing the blood of being a <laughs> martyr and a crown and wreath of candles and the, the boys will be dressed in the same kind of white robe but with a cone-shaped hat decorated with golden stars then in daycare they also have the whole class do these Lucia processions. Yeah. So the the Lucia, it takes place very early in the morning yeah. before it's light. Not that it ever gets light here in the winter. <laughs> and then uh, the children come in with the candles. They sing special songs for Lucia and special Christmas songs. And then you also eat saffron buns yeah. on that day. And yeah. I couldn't find a reason why other than saffron buns are good. Well, that's one theory. <laughs> I think that they are disgusting and I completely do not understand why they even exist because you know they do such nice cinnamon buns here and then they have to go and ruin their whole bun thing by making saffron buns that stuff doesn't belong in bread get it out of the bread (laughs) pop it in the fish soup okay makes sense there saffron in in bread wrongness deep 
food wrongness. Uh, I have to disagree. <laughs> I like I like the saffron. Yeah, buns. my daughter does too. She's <sighs> crazy for them. <laughs> but I can't make them. I I try every year, and I know I can't do it every year. I try, and it, Dude, it's just so sad. It's not rocket science. <sighs> it is to me. <laughs> I'm terrible at, at not cooking. A, not a natural baker, then, are you? No. <laughs> no. So my kids, they go to a music school, and they have these big Lucia productions in the big churches every year. Mm. So I'll be going to that. Uh, this week but in the daycares it's really cute when the kids do it but they also dress up not just as in the lucia clothes but they can also dress as santa claus and the gingerbread Gingerbread. man and that's pretty common they sell those costumes this time of year at h&m and yes in the grocery store so i'd like to hear your daycare horrifying lucia experience my first experience of lucia at all was was probably before I even moved here, when I was together with my husband, but we hadn't actually moved. And I remember my mother-in-law telling us that the following morning, we were going to be getting up at five o'clock in the morning to watch something on the telly and eat Lucia Buller, first time I ate those things. And I, I love my sleep. Like, I really love my sleep. I couldn't believe that I was going to get up at five o'clock in the morning to watch some dumbass TV programme and eat shitty buller, which is exactly what happened. <laughs> so I just sat there not eating the shitty yellow buller, watching this insane, dangerous health and safety nightmare on the TV, <laughs> thinking, come on, I could be asleep now, dreaming of flying saucers or anything. But there I'm doing this. So that was my first experience of Lucia, because we don't really have any equivalent of that in, in Britain. Almost always, you've got your Easter, there's an equivalent. You've got your, well, actually, no, there's the witches and stuff of Easter, but let's not go, get into that that's whole That's for another one. episode. Yeah, that's for another episode. But there's always some kind of an equivalent that you're used to, traditionally speaking. But but with that Lucia thing, it really is its own special beast. And I, I hadn't ever seen or heard anything about that before I saw that. Then, yeah, the children, when I was at Dargis, they were tiny, you know, they're like four years old or something like that. And they, they've got these winter clothes on that make them look like the Michelin man because they're going to be outside for a long time and but still over the top of that they have to have some kind of an outfit so they've got this sort of like white dress thing pulled over the top of their snowsuit so they they actually look like the Michelin man completely they look like point. they ate way too many of those Lucia buns before yeah. they came out <laughs> yeah and with tinsel tied around their woolen hats and <laughs> and then they go and they sit in the sort of semi twilight of or dawn or whatever it is and they sing these songs they shout these songs <laughs> out and and if you're lucky it's snowy and not too cold but if you're unlucky and it often happens in Stockholm that there isn't actually any snow at that point it's just sort of frozen mud incredibly <laughs> cold and we were there with our with my my father-in-law one time and he was filming my daughter singing away and then at the end of it we realized he'd been filming the wrong child for the entire time because they all look the same underneath these marshmallow outfits you know there's only this one there's tiny little bit of face sticking out with ruddy cheeks a little pipey voice or see somebody else's child they're probably thinking who's that creepy man filming my child 
you know. So anyway, that was my experience of Lucia. It was just like pulling teeth, really. Um, but I'm happy I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to get up in the m- early in the morning to see that nonsense and I don't have to go to any parades or any of that other <laughs> nonsense. So I'm, I'm done with all of that. <laughs> well, I have to volunteer sometimes as you the... You have um... to volunteer? Yeah, yeah, yeah you have okay, to volunteer. Right. <laughs> a different kind of voluntary, that is. Yeah, but in, in school they separate the parents into groups every year. So separate you're the, the party group. To throw the class parties, okay. or you're the concert group at okay. this music school, which means that you come to the rehearsals, make sure the kids are all dressed. But if you're the concert parent at Lucia, that means that you sit up front near the choir yeah. with a giant bucket of water. Oh God! In case they go woof, in case in they catch on fire, yeah. which I thought was bucket lady the most exciting concert experience I ever got to participate in. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want anybody to catch on fire, but it was just kind of exciting sitting there with yeah. the bucket just yeah. ready yeah. to go. <laughs> I have to say, British Christmas food, yummy. Uh, I don't know about American Christmas food, but uh, Swedish Christmas food. I'm not yummy. It's brown. It's all brown. It's just different varieties of brown food. I don't get that. Okay, let's talk about what they have. They have meatballs, potatoes, many different sausages. Yeah, chocolate, uh, ribs, meat, meaty Ooh, ribs. We don't have ribs. Yeah, brown beans and brown cabbage. So what have we got? Brown meatballs, brown sausages, brown beans, brown cabbage, brown ribs. That's I'm, five brown things. I'm starting to wonder about your family because we don't have some of those things. I've never heard of the beans and the cabbage, but uh, maybe <laughs> but maybe it's our family. Like, but then you're just having like meat, <laughs> meat with meat and some meat on the side. Of your but bucket that's if you're how vegetarian. I see it. It's, it's meat, 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 yeah, and a few it potatoes. Is, it is very meat. Centric, the sill, yeah. the, um, yeah, the pickled pre- herring. There's the sill to begin with, which is um, quite colourful, actually, and quite beautiful, but disgusting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like pickled fish. It's just wrong. I mean, I understand <laughs> if you live in a climate where the permafrost means you can't actually yeah. dig in the ground and grow things, then pickled items are a necessity. So, fine. I can see why traditionally you'd be having plenty of pickled pickled stuff. But <clears throat> you don't have to have that anymore. No, these days, <laughs> you um, modern to. times. Yeah. You can have whatever you wanted, but still you want the pickled things. But what is the traditional British Christmas food? Well, that would be turkey. Mm -hmm. But there is so much trappings with the turkey, the stuffing and the um, pudding, Yorkshire puddings and the gravy and the roast potatoes. And there's always a lot of veg and cranberry sauce. And there's lots lots of vegetable trappings with it. So if you are a vegetarian, you can just not eat turkey and you've still got lots of other things that you can eat. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up because you're doing a lot of selling, a lot of artwork. You're very busy this uh, Christmas season. And I am going to put a link to your shop uh, online and then information about where you'll be presenting your art. Lovely. Yeah. And uh, some of your things can be found in stores around Stockholm, too. Oh, yeah. Lots of my things can be found in lots of stores all all over the place. Well, we'll put up some pictures (laughs) so people can see what kind of uh, things you design and what you do. But thank you so much for taking the time to talk. I could talk the hind leg off a donkey. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, um, yeah. Until next time. Bye. Peace out. (laughs)